Good morning, church family. Good to see you. If you have your Bibles, uh, you can open 1 Timothy. We'll still be in chapter 1 uh, today. If you don't have a Bible, again, like you said, under, under your seat, there's one uh, you can have. You can totally take home. Uh, please be your, let it be a gift to you. And that's on page 673. So if you're too lazy to look in your Bible, you can just take that one and look in there if you want to. I will warn you, it is microprint. We want you to really focus on the Word of God. And so that's why it's like that. It was by design and not uh, by poor... <laughs> Research on my part that definitely is not it. Uh, I don't know what word you would use to describe yourself today. If, if I could give one, just being completely transparent, it, for me, it's, it's distracted. I don't know if you feel that. Um, this is not part of my sermon. This is just a- added bonus right now. I feel like there's just been a perfect storm of stuff over the past several weeks. It's just caused, man, I just, focus is hard. Uh, whether it be from uh, schedules being blown up due to weather-related stuff or other items in my life, or, or whether it be health-related reasons. I still got a cough that I just can't seem to get rid of that's frustrating. You're like, what's going on here? Uh, and, you know, when you have young kids, or no matter what age you are, schedule is king. When it begins to get messed up, you feel like your whole world starts to crumble. Or even other extracurricular things in, in life. Just Having one of those things is fine, but when it feels like all of them comes at once, you're just like, I'm just not here today. And I, I say that, some, some of you, that's just been life. It's not a season, that's just been life for you. And from talking to several of you throughout and stuff like that, I, I know in some sense we're, we're all seem to be in some season of that boat. And so I'm just, I'm just going to ask for a favor right now. I just, we're, we're going to teach through the Word of God today. And I, I don't want you to be distracted, but I don't want to nullify what's going on in your life, if that makes sense. That, there's, that, that's important, that's valuable, there's, there's, there's meaning there. And so I just want to take a, just a second just to pray for you, for myself, and just allow God to handle our distractions and allow us just to focus on his word so he can speak to us today so we make the best use of this time. So can, can we do that? Would you just allow me to pray for you, bow your heads, close your eyes, and just take a second. Father God, I pray for everyone in this room. Some I've talked to, many I haven't. I don't know what's going on in everyone's life, but God, I, I, it feels like a season of just a lot. And the church is going good. I thank you so much for blessing our church and what's going on here. But in personal life, it's a lot. And, and I know for me, it's not necessarily bad things. It's just a lot. And God, I, I pray that whatever's heavy on our heart, mind, soul right now that maybe is causing us to think about that instead of you, I pray you would take. Your word tells us to seek after your kingdom and your righteousness and all of these things, which is a reference to all the things that we stress and have anxiety about, will be taken care of and added to so God, right now, I, I, I just pray you, you would give us a sense of peace about whatever's in our life. Give us rest in a moment. But God, give our, help us give full attention to you and your word. Help us to find uh, truth in your word. Help us to find life transformation in your word. God, that thing in our mind or soul right now, God, I pray we name it and claim it to you and say, God, take this. You, you're the sovereign God of my life and I trust what's going on with these things right now. You, you're you're going to handle and I look for your hand at work. Make us aware of your presence as you don't suddenly become present, non-present. You are always present with us. So help us become aware of that in this moment. God, today as we study your word, I pray that we'd be able to fully give uh, you the attention, not because of my words, not because of anything I'm looking for to get out of this, God, because your word does not come back void. And so help us to find truth today. God, we love you so much, and I, I believe life transformation can and will happen if we'll fully give ourselves to you in this moment. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, appreciate that. 
Um, uh, just like I said, nothing bad. Just like, man, it's just hard to focus, you know. Uh, and to, to help even more than that, uh, I'm going to take you to some random place right now to tee up my, my sermon today. Would you just for a second close your eyes, just, just indulge me for a second, and just envision right now, what is your dream vacation? Take yourself there. See, I've just, I just, I just given to God whatever issue you have, and now God's got you on a vacation wherever it is. Right now, where, where are you? If you're sitting next to someone, just whisper it to them. I'm on an island in Tahiti, or I'm in Branson. I, I, if, if, I don't know. Where, wherever your place is, name it right now if that's your thing. My family right now, I'm telling you, as I close my eyes and I see myself, I'm telling you right now, I am on a cruise ship. Like, that is where I am. Uh, we, we, my, my, me and my wife, we love cruises. Uh, if you've never been on a cruise, it is about being pampered all day long, giving everything you possibly want. You do not go there to diet. You go there to get fat and join everyone else on the ship that does it. Uh, I've been on three cruises in my life, and I'm embarrassed to say we have two more coming in the next couple of years, and I cannot wait. You get on the ship, and the itinerary is set for you. You don't have to plan anything. You can if you want to, but it's, it's just ready to go. You just leave your room wherever you want to. You, you have a special person that, that, that takes care of you the whole time. When you leave the room, they come and turn down your room. You come back. Someone made your bed. I'm like, where is this at home? This is, I need this. This is my life right here. You go, and they have a buffet of every kind of food you could possibly want. They have entertainment nonstop. You land on an island, get off, go enjoy, and come back. Like, it is, it is the, the, the best life ever. I love it. Some of you guys don't love cruise ships and like that sort of thing. Don't worry. You can get saved too. Um, your, your life can get transformed. Uh, I was actually just talking to a couple uh, who just went on a K-Love cruise, and I was like, why would, you, why would you tell me that right before I get up and preach? That's so cruel. That's so cruel. Um, I, 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 I'm bringing this up not because of what I was talking about before, but let me ask you this. A cruise ship, if you've never been, like I said, it is pure entertainment. It is pure being served, cared for, parent. You are the focus. It, no doubt about it. Everything is geared around you. Okay, let me ask you this. Can you tell the difference between these two ships right here in this picture? One is a cruise ship. I'll let you try to figure out which one it is. And one is a naval warship. I'll let you try to figure out, again, which one is which. I, I bring that up because when we look at this, uh, there's a difference in those two. You see, on one, you, you are focused on being served. The other one, you are there to serve. Well, one, you are the focus. Another one, the, the, the mission is the focus. Well, one, everyone has a job to do for you. The other one, you have a job to do for it. There's a difference in the two right there. And my bigger question that I'm leading into is this. Which one is the better representation of the church? When we come to church and we look at it, it is our attitude, it is our personality saying, I can't wait to get on this cruise ship. When I come, they better have the coffee just right. Uh, they better have the temperature right. If this is too hot, too cold, so help me, I'm going to let Eric know later. We need to fix that bad boy right there. Uh, worship better be rocking. We better have everything going. Eric better bring good illustrations. Like, or, or are you coming saying, listen, I'm coming today because I have a mission to do and there's a battle plan that I need to be a part of. Right, like even more so, do you know which ship you are on? at North Point today. Because your attitude, your mindset, your effort, everything you do is completely different depending on how you view this church and what it is. 
And too, many, too often, especially for some of us when we're shopping for churches, there's nothing wrong if you were looking for a church. Our, our mindset is on the cruise ship mentality of, man, how is this church going to serve me? And am I going to be happy? Am I going to be comfortable? And am I going to be pampered? When the reality is, like, where is God going to use me the most? And is this church doing something? Are they accomplishing? Are they, they, they fighting for something of meaning, a matter of worth? The series we've been going through is First Timothy. It's been focusing upon this rock, and we've broken it into different series. And, we, and in, in this focus, Paul's writing to Timothy, a young pastor of a church of Ephesus who is really struggling. And he's just like cutting his teeth on ministry, if you will. And, and Paul's trying to encourage him. Who's, from reading the letter, it's clear Timothy wants to quit. He wants to leave. He's done. And Paul's like, dude, don't quit. Stay in the game. Don't give up. And, and so he starts off the letter telling him about these are foundational things the church needs to be built on. It, as I'm trying to get you to go and you're distracted by all the stuff, man, stay focused on these things and you'll do good. And so we've gone through it. And, and today we're looking at another thing that he talks about. And today I think he's talking about this, that w- when it comes to your work, Timothy, you need to be faithful to the position and your position. So let's look at 1 Timothy Chapter 1, verse 18 through 20. Paul says this. Timothy, my son, like I'm giving you these instructions in keeping with the prophecies previously made about you. So that by recalling them, you may fight the good fight, having faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and have shipwrecked the faith. Among them are Hymenius and Alexander, who I've delivered to Satan, so they might be taught not to blaspheme. What a short and odd text that we're going to tackle today. What is Paul talking about? I love Paul comes to Timothy. And, and, and through a letter, it's, it's almost like he comes and puts his arm around him to encourage him. As he says, Timothy, my son. I mean, you can almost see him like, hey, listen, don't, don't, don't give up. If I, if I can remind you of these things, and I want you to keep this in mind. Here's what I think he says, which is the big idea. Be faithful to the mission. And be faithful to your position. Don't, don't lose sight of what you were called to and where God has placed you. And don't, don't quit. Don't squander that. And for all of us, I think God calls us to the same thing. Like, listen, you, you need to be faithful to the mission and the position that you have been placed in. God is wanting to use you. Are, are you doing that? Don't, don't lose sight of what ship you're on. And so as we walk through this, like we have to ask, how do we develop a warship mentality? How, how do we change it to where it's not a cruise ship, I'm looking to be pampered, but instead I have a role, I have a mission. And as we look through his letter, I think there's a few things that we can glean from. The first thing is this, I'd say this. How do we develop a, a warship mentality? First is this. View ministry work as my responsibility. He says to Timothy, he says, I love, look at verse 18. Timothy, my son, I, I'm giving you this instruction he says, I'm giving you this instruction. The ESV, I love how they actually say it in their text. They say it like this. This charge I entrust to you. You have a responsibility here. It's been given to you. Don't waste what you are doing. You need to understand this. If you are saved, if you have given your life to Jesus Christ, you have called a child of God, if that is how, what describes you, you need to realize that you are gifted and enlisted into his work. Every single one of you. Not will be someday, not might be someday, not waiting for that day to come. As of right now, when you pray to receive Jesus Christ, you are both immediately gifted and enlisted into the work of ministry. How do I know this? Well, I read scripture that says this. Look at, listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. It speaks to the church at large, uh, each one of us. It says, a manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. 
In other words, <coughs> every person is gifted by the Spirit for, for some purpose in ministry and work. God has gifted every single one of you to play a role, to have significance in what's going on. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 12 says this, And he, being God, himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, and don't miss this, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, to build up the body of Christ. In, in other words, when you come to church, it's not, man, I have ministerial staff that are here to wait on me. It's, it's I have ministerial staff and leadership that are here to equip me for the work of ministry. It's my job to get it done. I have a responsibility to do it. And he's reminding Timothy, like, don't miss your responsibility. I'm entrusting this church with you. Do something with it. When you put on the name of Christ, you submit yourself to the command of Christ. When you come and say, man, I'm a follower of you, you, you immediately enroll yourself in the command that Jesus gave his disciples in Matthew 28, 19 through 20, where he says this. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. You have been given command and orders. The question is, what are you doing with that? Now, many of us hear that and we go, well, I, I'm a believer. I would say this is my church, but what exactly is my responsibility? Because I don't know what it is. And so we, we kind of wait and sit for instructions until someone tells us to go. And, and the crazy thing in Scripture, we see the opposite. It's saying Scripture often tells us, I need you to go until someone tells you to stop. It's much easier to redirect the moving train than trying to get one going. And so I'd say this, when it comes to your responsibility, what is your responsibility? It, it's anything needed with the exception of what I am incapable of doing. Anything. If there is a need, you need to do it unless you say, I'm incapable of doing it. And if you're incapable, can I say this? Listen, you need to do everything you can to become capable. Now, now many of us confuse incapability with insecurity. Well, I'm scared to tell them about Jesus because, man, what will they think of me? No, that's not incapable. You're just scared. You need to conquer that fear. I'm not a very good teacher, so that's not my capable. No, listen, maybe you need to learn how to teach. Maybe you need to do everything in your power to become capable. But listen, everything is on the table, and it's my responsibility. Another thing I say is this, is anything needed with the exception of what I am unauthorized in doing. In other words, if there's areas of decision-making that are above where I realize this is needed leadership, I need to respect the leadership here and do it. But, but here's what I'd say. Do everything within my power to do it. Or go and talk to those people to get it done. I think of it like this, when it comes to responsibilities, like when I had kids. Uh, when we had my first daughter, I remember this beautiful red-headed child came in the world. I was so happy to have her. We were so lost at what it meant to be a parent. And I remember the first time she pooped a diaper. And I said, hey, Emily, uh, i got a gift over here for you. I need you to take care of this. She looked at me and says, why aren't you changing? I'm like, that's gross. I ain't doing that. And she's like, we well, are her dad. I'm like, So? She's like, listen, you help make that baby, you can help change that baby right there. I'm telling you, this is your responsibility. And I remember the whole time changing that diaper, like, bleh, bleh, you know, like I can get through this. Listen, hey, I'm sitting here trying to shug off my responsibility as a father and act like it's someone else's. The reality is that is my responsibility. There are certain things when it came to the child that I am incapable of when it came to caring for that my wife can only do. But I do everything within my power up to the point that I can't help. And I find ways to help in all the ways I can. In the same way, when it comes to church, a lot of times us, we come and look and say, ah, that, that, we need to call someone else to the plate to do it. Well, let, let's wait for Eric or wait for one of the elders or one of the staff to do it. No, no, it is your responsibility. And just like Paul tells Timothy, I've entrusted you with this responsibility. You need to take it and own it and do something with it. 
Can I tell you, my, my years of ministry, I know I look young, but I've been doing it for 20 years and five years as a pastor here. I've come to find that they have two types of people at church. Ones that come and do this, that people that inform me of what needs to be done. Or, or a second one, which I can tell you is a smaller pool of people, is this, people who inform me of what they did to keep me in the loop. Too, too often people come, hey, Eric, this needs done, this needs done, and I'm looking at them, and I'm going to be honest. I constantly go, I can't do it. I have with the staff kind of a thing that I've started doing. I haven't done as much lately. They bring an issue or someone say, hey, Eric needs this. And I go, just throw it on top of the pile. <laughs> I don't know when I'm going to get to. I don't. I don't. I only have so many arms, so many days, so much time. I can only do so much. And the reality is we need more people saying, listen, there's a need. I'm just going to do it and take care of it. I would much rather have to redirect people than have to push you into a role and responsibility. So my question to you is this. What have you taken responsibility of at a church? In God's kingdom work. Because a good soldier, a faithful soldier in the army comes and says, listen, I'm going to fill a need. And when there's a void, I'm going to find a way to fill it. The second thing I think we see in here is not only do we view my ministry, uh, ministry work as my responsibility, but the second thing I say is this, we need to accept my role in the work of ministry. Look, look at the second part. He says, Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this instruction. And listen, he says, in keeping with the prophecies previously made about you. In other words, in what we has proclaimed on you that you had a specific role. Now, when you hear that, many of us go, well, what's the difference between a role and a responsibility? Are those not the same thing? Well, let me say it like this. A responsibility can be generic, but a role is specific. Each of you, I believe, has a specific role in the kingdom work of God. As clearly as I read before, you are gifted by the Spirit to fulfill a need, a role in the, in the work of the kingdom work of God. Timothy's calling here came through prophecies, he said. He says, we, we, through the prophecies made about you. Now, I'll be honest, I don't really know what that means uh, ex exactly. We have in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14, where Paul tells Timothy, he says this, Don't neglect the gift that is in you. It was given to you through prophecy, which was the laying on of the hands by the council of the elders. So we get the idea, at some point, they saw something in Timothy they believed God was calling him to. They laid hands on him and prayed, said, listen, we see God calling you to be a pastor, a leader of this church. And so we're laying for God to anoint you and to bless you with it. We see the same thing in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6. It says this, Therefore I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is in you through what? The laying on of my hands. So, so for Timothy's sake, at some point they saw something and they called him to ministry. They said, we saw, see you being called to be a pastor. Not every calling is the same in that way. Can I say this? Not everyone is called to vocational ministry, but everyone is called to ministry. Not everyone is called to full-time ministry where this is their job, their career, but everyone is called to a role in ministry. My mind, I remember when I was 13 years old at Falls Creek, short, fat kid with a bowl cut. Can I tell you, bowl cuts were awesome back in the day. I remember rocking it. And I'm at Falls Creek on a Thursday night, and the speaker's speaking. Now listen, my biggest fear in that time was to get in front of people and talk. Uh, you, there's no, no way you would ever get me to do it. And Thursday, at the end of the invitation, the pastor's talking, and he's speaking, and he says, listen, he offers an altar call. And he asks people to come up who want to pray to receive Christ, and I feel the stirring in me that I don't understand what's going on. And I'm fighting, and I'm, I'm literally dropping beads of sweat, because I'm like feeling God calling me to the front, and I'm so embarrassed, I'm like, I'm saved. I don't, I don't understand, I know I'm saved. Why do I need to get up? This makes no sense. And so I get up, and I start walking, and people are looking at me. I'm so embarrassed, because I know I'm saved. I'm thinking what my friends might be thinking of me. As I'm halfway down the front, he says, listen, some of you today may be accepting a call to ministry. And it was like a light bulb. God suddenly made me realize, like, Eric, I'm calling you to ministry. And I was like, there's no way I'm going to do this. 
And I walked to the front and told them, I said, I feel like God's calling me to ministry. And they said, to be a pastor? I'm like, no, <laughs> definitely not a pastor. <laughs> Never going to do that. And they said, well, what about youth? I'm like, yeah, that, that sounds right. And I spent the next several years fighting this thing, but God kept reaffirming me through other people in my life that this was my calling. Can I say, listen, everyone has a role in the kingdom of God. Everyone has a calling. Yours might not look exactly like mine. Yours may look different in how you're called. But the question is, are you searching out what is your role? How do I discover my calling? Can I tell you this? Listen, if you're sitting there saying, I don't know how to find my role on this warship, how to find my place. What we see in scripture is how you find it is you serve where there's a void and a need and allow God to direct your path. Some people mistake gifting for talent. You were, you were born with a talented. You might be talented something. But listen, talent doesn't necessarily mean gifting. Gifting is, comes after you're saved through the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. I can tell you as a 13-year-old kid, no one would say, Eric is a talented speaker. As a matter of fact, I went back to my youth group, told my youth minister I felt called to ministry. And listen, youth minister struggled too. He goes, oh, you're serious. I was like, yeah, and I'm not sure anymore right now after this. God would begin grooming that and building it into me. But listen, there, there are needs at the church right now and in ministry work right now that are empty. That, that I'm telling you, if people say, God, where do you want me? God would begin to groom, develop, and place in you exactly to fill those needs. He, he does it time and time again. Um, case in point, my calling here today. Every pastor I've ever worked with in the past has called me and made fun of me because I've told them I will never be a pastor. That sounds like a death sentence. That sounds terrible. Who would want to do that? And in 2018, when we were pastorless going through a transition, there was a need in the church as we're needing pulpit supply. And I saw for myself an opportunity to come serve the church. Had, I'm telling you now, zero desire to fulfill this role. Zero desire. People are asking me, like, no, listen, I, I would rather do anything else for a living. And yet there's a void, and I came and began to fill, and man, God began to use, not me, but his words through me to speak to a church in a time of need. And it's time God began to redirect my heart in a place where I didn't want to go. Emily and I spent nights talking, like, I don't, I don't want to do this. I don't feel called. I don't feel equipped. I don't feel this. And yet time and time again, people are reaffirming me, asking me, hey, you should throw your name in the hat. I'm like, there's no way I would do that. And finally, discreetly, we do it, just saying, okay, God, we're going to be faithful shocked. I, I was convinced when I went and talked to the, the team that was on search, they would laugh me off. I'm like, okay, I've done my job. They can let me go. But they took my resume seriously. And, and here I am today, and I still struggle with the thought, man, am I really called to do this? But, but God saw a void, and he placed me in it. And, and I'm, I'm saying this, listen, you need to fill a void. You need to come and find your responsibility in your place. The problem we face in the church today is exactly what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 9, verse 37 through 38. He said this, the harvest is abundant or plentiful, but the workers are few. Man, man, there, there's so much need out there for people to be saved, but we don't have enough people to go pick, pick the fruit and get it done. And so he says, therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into this harvest. Can I tell you something? The elders have been praying for God to send people to come and step up and fill the needs and take their role and responsibility. And so my question is this for you. <coughs> Are you serving a purpose in ministry? Do, do you know your role? Do you come and say, listen, God has me here for a purpose and I'm fulfilling this need, what's going on? And if not, my question is, are, are you seeking after to try to find it? If you're saying it's because it's not a need, you haven't talked to us because I can promise you there is. 
Don't believe me? Talk to our deacons who have started taking up so much responsibility and are overwhelmed by the needs in this church. We need people to take their role seriously. The third thing I see is this. Look at verse 18 as well. He says, Timothy, I'm giving you this instruction, keeping the prophecies previously made about you. And he says, so that by recalling them, you may fight the good fight. So, so reminding yourself, you may fight the good fight. And I'd say it like this, anticipate the impending battles of ministry. How do you place yourself in a worship mentality? Is you have to realize that ministry is a battle. I'm just going to say it clear and blunt like this. Ministry is a grind. Ministry is messy. Ministry is uncomfortable. If you come here and you don't leave often frustrated, can I tell you something? We're not doing ministry here. <laughs> because why? Because we have, as one, one pastor once said, we have the best and worst of humanity coming to place, and that's exactly how it's supposed to be. If we don't have the worst of humanity coming here, listen, who are we ministering to? Who are we reaching out to? Some of my deepest pains in life have come from working at the church, but some of the best giftings in life have what come at the hands of the church. And you know why? Because it is a battle. It's war being waged. And we see throughout Scripture this mentality over and over. It tells us that. In Ephesians chapter 6, listen, verse 11 through 13, Paul says this. He says, put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in, in, in the heavens. For, for this reason, take up the full armor of God, so, so that you may be able to resist the evil in the day, and having prepared everything to take your stand. What am I saying? Listen, when, when you come here, and you come in this, you are literally waging war on hell. What do you expect the outcome to be? War is not pretty, it is not pleasant, it is not nice, but it is needed. And we're fighting against things that we can't even begin to see and understand right now, and it's messy at times. And too many of us get frustrated, we get burned out and fried and go, man, this is difficult. Yes, it's difficult, but you need to stick it out. You need to continue to persist. There's a battle to be waged. And so my question to you is this, is, this, is what, what are you doing in the battle? Have you prepared for the longevity of it? Now, what scares me is the very next part of this text, because for those of us who don't take it serious, Paul tells us the consequences of the fallout. Look what he says. He says, which some have rejected and have shipwrecked the faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and, and Alexander, who I've delivered over to Satan so they be taught not to blaspheme. There's consequences for people who don't take their responsibility in, in the battle, in the work seriously. He says one is that they could shipwreck the faith. Notice he doesn't say their faith, he says the faith. It's not just their faith, it's the whole faith they can shipwreck. When, when people don't fulfill their role and the responsibility, guess what happened? The ship is just kind of going, just at, uh, is at mercy of the elements of the sea and what's going on. People have to take the role seriously. We can shipwreck the faith. I'll never forget in COVID, when everyone got scared and was nervous about what's going on, man, listen, can I tell you, I, I get it. But in that season, so many people dropped their responsibilities to the church, and, and there were churches all around the nation terrified they were going to crash and burn. Can I tell you, some did. Many did. Because people quit doing their responsibility. Some, not just because they quit their responsibility, some were taking it in a different direction and, and took it to a different way. Paul talks about two people in the church who are causing issues, uh, Hymenaeus and Alexander. Now, I'm going to tell you this. We don't know exactly what they were doing or what the issue was. 
Some scholars believe these were elders in the church, and that's why Paul's calling them out, because he's trying to draw attention. This is the first time, honestly, that Paul actually calls someone by name out in the church as someone who's blaspheming and doing something wrong and what's going on. We see in 2 Timothy chapter 16, verse 17, uh, sorry, 2, verse 16 through 17, he talks about these people. He says, avoid irreverent and empty speech, since those who engage in it will produce even more godlessness, and their teachings will spread like gangrene. He says, Hymenaeus and Philetus are among them. So, so whatever they're doing, they're, they're, they're shipwrecking the church in a different direction. The point is this, listen, we, we have to know the collateral damage of your actions. And we don't take our role or responsibility seriously, we, we might play a role in crashing the ship to the ground. Everyone has a significant role. Whether it be false doctrine we teach or whether it be just apathy and quitting altogether. The second thing I think you see here, and this is the last thing I'll point out, the consequences of those that reject the responsibility. He, he says this, he says, among them are Hymenaeus and, and Alexander, who I have delivered to Satan. So we taught not to blaspheme. So, so sometimes we have to treat them like deserters. What happens in war when people desert? Deserters in military, I looked up, can be dishonorably discharged, loss of military privileges, and even serve prison time. Here it sounds hard. Literally, this is excommunication that happens in the church. It's not something I'm going to tell you we've regularly practiced, nor do I want to practice. No one's like, oh, I can't wait to kick someone out of church. Who's it going to be today? Front row over here. No, like, nobody wants to do this. Even Paul doesn't want to do this. Paul's whole thing is like, listen, I've delivered them with Satan, so hopefully they'll come back. In other words, listen, we need to expedite. They're hitting rock bottom so they can realize what they've walked away from. But what we have to, the point is this, we have to treat it like it's a big deal. And when people don't take their role responsibility seriously, we can't shut it off like, ah, it's not a big deal. We, we have to treat it like a big deal. Uh, I remember when I was a student minister, I had a young intern that came and in, interned with me and served here. I don't know if I've shared the story, but uh, one Wednesday, I was gone on a vacation in Florida, and I left him in charge, which I learned don't do. Uh, and... and Come to find out later that night, uh, after youth was over, him and some of about, as they said, 10 of my leadership youth had the bright idea of, hey, it's so-and-so's birthday. What if we went and egged this kid's house for his birthday? That'd be so funny, wouldn't it? So they got eggs, went to this house, and they went and egged the house. I get a phone call the next day from an angry parent, as you can imagine, about not having the leadership of this church. And, and so I call my intern. I said, hey, buddy, uh, what happened? I said, I heard something happen. He said, oh, yeah, you know, we, we had youth. It went great. And he goes, well, then afterwards, one of them had an idea to go egg so-and-so's house because they thought it would be funny. And I go, and? He goes, we did. I said, did you, did you egg the house? He goes, I, 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 may have, I may have thrown one egg. And I was like, dude. He's like, it's not a big deal. It's just a prank. I said, no, it is a big deal. I said, you need to understand, you, people see egging as a hate crime. Not only, not only that, you, you are representing our church. You are our leadership. And I think he realized the tone was serious. And when I told him, I said, I just want you to know, I love you. <laughs> uh, and I would probably recommend you not be taking calls from people until we process through this. And he realized he was in a lot of trouble. I, I tell you that story is he didn't realize how big a deal that was. And what that could have done to the ministry. We, we had parents calling and saying they didn't want to send their kids to our church anymore because of going on. And can I tell you, I'm grateful that we went through that because God worked, orchestrated all that together. And it taught him a valuable lesson. But, but the reality is for many of us, we, we need to look at our responsibility as a big deal. And if we don't take it seriously or we just laissez-faire throw out there what we're doing, the damage that can be done. 
we have to treat as a big deal. I, I go back to what I think he's saying. All of us need to be faithful to the mission and your position. All of us do. I, I'm going to close this illustration. Um, June 6, 1944. Does anybody know what that date represents? Uh, yeah, D-Day. I'm fascinated by World War II. As a matter of fact, I got to go to uh, the Southern Baptist Convention this year, which was in New Orleans, and they had the World War II Museum, and I had the privilege of walking through it. And it's just, it's just I'm, I'm fascinated by it. If you don't know anything about D-Day, World War II, that was a pivotal day. It's a day when the Allied forces stormed the beaches of Normandy, which is a 50-mile stretch of coastline. Uh, uh, roughly, they figured 150,000 Allied forces stormed the beach in one day. C can you believe that? And that included 6,000 ships, 50,000 vehicles, and 11,000 planes. All on one day, this mass attack to try to win over this war that was losing. The casualties, they estimate, they don't, still don't know, but they estimate some 4,500 Allied troops were killed that day. Another 5,000 were wounded. And, and it was such a pivotal thing. It was, it was a turning point in the war because after that happened, by, that happened on June 6, 1944. By June 11th, the beachheads uh, were firmly secured. More than 326,000 Allied troops crossed, allowing them to liberate Paris on August 25th and eventually getting to Germany, which caused them to surrender less than a year later. Every person would say this is one of the biggest attacks in history, and that thing right there was the turning point in the war that they would say, man, that is why we want it. And if they had not taken their job seriously, what would have happened? I, I tell you this, listen, what scares me about the church is there is coming a day when we're going to need to have a big attack and have to do something to help and win the war here going on. I want to say this, I'm not scared for the church. Because Jesus has said that the, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. What scares me is the casualties will be in the process that go by that we just sit because we wasted time and energy. And, and I firmly believe if we would take our job seriously and begin really saying, listen, what would it be to do a full frontal attack and take our, our role seriously, how we could change the course of history with the church. You see reformations, you, you, you see revivals take place. It always starts with a small group of people taking the word of God seriously and taking their role seriously. But, but, but your mindset has to change. You can't come in here and look and go, man, I really want this church to serve me. You have to come and say, man, what's my role? What can I do? And how can I do it? And so I just want to, we're going to have a time to pray and reflect. I'm just going to ask you just to pray for yourself and ask that God, man, is there something I need to be doing? Is there some way I need to step up? Is there some way I need to come and start taking my role seriously to help move forward this, this work in the kingdom? And so I'm going to ask you to do that. For some of you, I'm going to say this, there's some of the sound of my voice, you don't realize the battle we're talking about was for you. You're here today because by divine intervention, I believe God brought you here. You're not sure how you got here, and I think God's trying to get your attention, and hopefully you might come and realize that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. And that you'd come and pray to receive that truth. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes, and just allow us to respond to this. Father God, I pray for our church. I pray that we would start taking our responsibility seriously. I pray you would stir conviction in people that is healthy, that leads to repentance, leads to change. I pray you would stir action that causes us to do something. God, maybe you've been stirring someone for a while that they, they've felt called to do something and they just haven't stepped into that out of fear, laziness. I don't know what it is. 
But God, there is so much work to be done. And so God, I pray you just allow us just to um, just take our role seriously, our calling seriously. God, I pray for those who sound my voice that are not children of God. They have not come to pray to receive you as their Lord and Savior. And today this all seems foreign to them. God, I pray you'd help them realize the battle we're talking about is for them. And God, I don't want to over-spiritualize this and say but it's the truth that Satan is doing everything he can to keep them down and keep them away from you. And one of the battles that was won today is they came. They're here today. And I pray that they'd hear the message of truth that you love them. You care for them so much that you sent your one and only son to die on the cross for their sins. And that today, if they would simply come and place their faith, hope, and trust in you, if they'd come and say, God, I want you to be the Lord of my life, they, they would realize that their sins are the things that have separated them from you. They'll repent of that. They too can be saved. And that's what we're here for. So God, help us respond to those truths. God, stir us conviction that leads to action. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to have a time of worship and just sing to worship God. And there's going to be elders available up front. If you need to respond, listen, you come talk to them. Maybe you need accountability. Say, listen, I was really convicted today that I need, I need, to, I need to step up. I haven't been fulfilling my role. Or, or maybe you've been fulfilling your role and you're tired. And you just need that encouragement to keep going. Paul, like Timothy, he's come to you like, hey, don't give up. You need that encouragement. You come and allow them to pray for you. We've got Stephen D. Riley in the back. We've got Amber Whale in the back. We'd love to pray for you as well. But you respond. Don't let the excuse of no one was available for me today to be your excuse. But you respond. So let's sing. If you need to respond, you come forward.